the Ortho PAC, hosted by Sam Dyer. Welcome to the Ortho PAC, where we discuss up-to-date orthopedic topics for the busy clinician. I invite you to sit back and relax as I attempt to fill in the gaps between education, current events, and real-world practice. Today's guest is Dr. Richard Brook. Dr. Brook, we're very excited to have you on today. I'm very happy to be on the show. Please tell our listeners that don't know who you are a little bit about yourself. I'm a general orthopedist by training. I came to Durham out of residency in 1977. As the world of medicine changed, I became a foot and ankle surgeon. And I retired from active practice a little over nine years ago. I'm still a medical consultant. I work with the ortho form primarily. I help with the Emerge Ortho federal issues. And uh, baseball is my love, okay? Mm -hmm. So I'm a Durham Bulls team physician since 1980. Right now I'm in Florida for spring training physicals. As the team physician for the Durham Bulls, can you tell us any memories that you have? It's been a hoot. Mm -hmm. There's no question the facilities we have now are so much better. The bus that is pictured in the movie at the old ballpark brings back a lot of memories. At that time, the old ballpark, the original DAP, Durham Athletic Park, had very poor bathrooms. Mm -hmm. I'd go down underneath, use the bathroom there in the training room area. My wife would be condemned to the public bathroom. <laughs> and uh, it rained once. And I remember going down there underneath and Kathy stayed up. Poor Kathy. And I heard about that for a long, long time. The uh, worst injury that I treated was a ball player who was playing shortstop and had a bad feed at second base for the double play. His knee, mm -hmm. he was hit broadside and he had a horrendous injury, anterocruciate, posterocruciate, some meniscal injury. And that was pretty scary. That ball player never made it to the major leagues and he was uh, a very, very high prospect. And uh, without the injury, I think he would have made it to the major leagues. There was another fellow who dislocated his elbow playing first base in Norfolk. Mm -hmm. He was reaching for a ball to catch a ball and the runner clipped his arm, dislocated his elbow. He came back to pitch in the major leagues. He was a mm -hmm. first baseman pitcher. He could hit the ball. So he had a lot of roles. He did play, make it to the major leagues. That was wonderful. The scariest thing I treated was a relief pitcher. This poor fellow, he had had a great season. This was in the playoffs. And he's a little bit wild in the Durham in the playoffs. They went in the road and he lost sensation in his hand. Hmm. And the athletic trainer called me mm -hmm. when they were getting back from Pennsylvania and said, what well, I want to see the guy. So I saw him immediately in the morning. He had no sensation in the median nerve. He didn't have a blood supply to his hand that I could tell. And we admitted him. He was on intravenous blood thinners of the clot buster type. And you can only give those for a few days. It didn't break up the clots. Ultimately, he uh, was discharged on Coumadin. Later in the off season, had surgery on the vasculature in St. Louis, Missouri, St. Louis, Missouri. They tied off a branch of the brachial artery that was throwing the clots. 
but he pitched well enough for us. And he's still pitching in independent league ball in his mid to late forties. That's pretty amazing. Wow. That is an amazing story. Dr. Brooke, let's switch gears and talk about your being a congressional ambassador for the AAOS and what that entails. My role in advocacy came about through my role in the North Carolina Medical Society. I uh, gave up all management responsibilities in the group, Triangle Orthopedics at that time, became involved in North Carolina Medical Society, became its president. And the year I was president was the first year of the medical liability reform movement in North Carolina that really became a big effort for tort reform. We failed miserably, but I learned a lot. After I was president, I was appointed by the Medical Society at that time, they had a slotted position on the State Health Coordinating Council, the SHIC. And so I served on that for a decade until I learned that lobbyists could not be uh, members of the SHIC. And I had become a lobbyist when I retired from active practice after baseball season. I was doing enough lobbying type activities to require that I declare as a lobbyist under the North Carolina law. That's a long way of saying that I became interested in advocacy through my role as president of North Carolina Medical Society and my role on the State Health Coordinating Council, and then seeing how, uh, in my mind, perverted the certificate of need process was, that spurred me on to even more advocacy. Now, through the years, along with my wife, we did some fundraising activities for various political candidates at the uh, federal level. And that really uh, cemented my relationship with some of these legislators. And I pay attention to the federal stuff a lot, the federal issues. Inauguration party, when you were the president of the North Carolina Medical Society, I believe was at Grandover. And there were two words that I remember, liquid pleasure. Do you remember those guys? Yes, <laughs> I don't know. If, <laughs> I don't know if they still play or not, but they were great. That was a blast. Anyways, Dr. Brooke, please tell us about the Ortho Forum, what it is, its mission, how you're connected with that organization, a little bit about it. Ortho Forum is a best practices organization, and it was started by an accountant, Mike McCaslin in Indiana. And uh, these are large independent physician practices. And originally, after several years, he got these practices to report financial data in a real method that everybody could comply with, okay? So you have your new patient visits, your return visits, your surgeries, your ancillaries. There's just a lot there. The orthoform has four different groupings of practices. The people who want to get in the form, by and large, there's a great geographic presence required. So we're in about 37, 38 states. We're not quite fully national yet. As the organization matured, the Orthoform developed uh, different committees or programs. One of those was group purchasing, another was medical liability type of practice. And then political advocacy, was later on, and I chair the committee. Mm -hmm. We had a lot of input in the Starclaw revisions. These were all administrative revisions. 
So we do have input on these regulations from the medical aspect. We do comment letters to CMS. Telemedicine is a big one at the present time. We have a lot of waivers right now through CMS that allow telemedicine to be performed and being reimbursed by the feds in a very nice fashion. But when the pandemic ends, what will be afterwards? There will be broadening of telemedicine. And I think that the requirement that the originating practice be in a rural area, I think that'll go. Take a practice like Emerge Ortho, based for the triangle, at least out of the Raleigh-Durham area, they wouldn't be able to do telemedicine under the old law. I think that'll be changed. A big thing is for the orthoform is would like to have physical therapists, occupational therapists, PT assistants, OT assistants, all be recognized in the law as health professionals. They currently are not. They uh, certainly are allowed to practice telemedicine under the waiver. So we're trying to get that to be legislated. That's a big ask. And breaking down state barriers to uh, telehealth is another major issue that involves state and federal approach. Now, if the federal law would be that the originating practice site governs, that would be wonderful. And we did a sports medicine law that passed a couple of years ago that would be a framework. That law was primarily for physicians who cover high school teams across state borders, that they could still do that and be, if there's a medical liability issue, that would be determined in the home state. Similarly for athletic trainers, if they travel the country with the uh, professional teams, they can do their work. If there's a uh, medical liability issue, it would be taken care of in the home state. If we could expand that law for telemedicine activities, that would be fantastic. Yeah, absolutely. Telemedicine, we've had some other talks on that other podcast. I encourage our listeners to listen to that, but it's an interesting take on what you can and can't do and what the government will allow you to do. One of the issue that we really uh, had some input on, prior approval, real-time seamless prior approval, that would be wonderful, right? If you could put the prior approval request in, get an immediate response. The legislative vehicle for that, interesting enough at the federal level, would only be for Medicare Advantage plans. But the hope is that it would spill over and the commercial insurers would change. I mean, we've had some that want their x-rays and MRIs submitted. Uh, we did a comment letter to CMS suggesting not that they not go down the line of prior approval because they are doing that now for some orthopedic neck conditions, but that they work to make it online and seamless. So there's that issue. Lots of health policy initiatives that you're involved with there. Are there any PA policy issues, state or federal, anything that you're aware of or anything that you can share with our listeners? Well, the PAs want to change in North Carolina, at least, the practice law to allow more uh, team-based approach and get rid of physician supervision for those who are expert in the field, 4,000 hours in the same field, let's say orthopedics, for example. In general, the state medical societies don't like to allow allied health professionals increase scope of practice. This one may pass. My thoughts on the matter were more conceptual than in based in reality. I was concerned about the corporate practice of medicine. 
in uh, hospitals or major pharmaceutical companies setting up allied health professionals and independent practices and how that would work out. Well, really they can do that already under existing law. So that is the biggest PA thing that I see. I don't see that it would make a bunch of financial difference for the PA if they're free of the reporting issues, but certainly there might be an emotional benefit that they are truly recognized for their expertise. For our listeners, if you read about the optimal team practice from the AAPA that fits in with this, and for those that are in North Carolina that are interested, I would encourage you to look at the uh, legislation. Dr. Brooke, if I'm a PA and I'm interested in uh, participating in political advocacy, aside from contributing to a PAC, are there any other options for me? Are there ways that I can be active and promote PA profession healthcare? Start by the PAC aspect, since you mentioned the word PAC. In general, physicians don't like to get their hands dirty contributing to an individual candidate. So they found it much better to submit their monies to a political action committee that distributes some money. Practice PACs are important and routinely giving money to a PAC is a lot less painful. It's a lot less uh, concerning than asking a physician or a physician assistant to contribute to this candidate. There's just less objection to that. I think getting to know your uh, legislator is really important, okay? Mm -hmm. First thing is, these elected officials would love to know you. You will almost always have a very nice reception. And if you don't have that nice reception, you will be affected by that and probably work your tail off to get that person out of office. <laughs> I know I did. So uh, getting to know your legislator is really the answer. Mm -hmm. There are certain stages of recognition. If you have the legislator's uh, cell phone and can text him or write him or call him when there's something bad going on or something that deserves your input, that's good. If he calls you, that's even better, right? Uh -huh. That's an extra stage of recognition and knowledge. That doesn't take money. I have a real problem in my own mind with the quote, true believers, unquote. And those are folks who have a single issue that is burning to them and they want the legislator to vote a certain way on this every time, always. Hmm. That doesn't work well with a legislator. Mm -hmm. Dr. Brooke, retired from clinical practice, the team physician of the Durham Bulls, congressional ambassador for the American Academy of Orthopedic Surgeons, involved with the Orthopedic Forum, has the ear of several legislators, policymakers. Dr. Brooke, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been a pleasure talking with you and having a conversation. Thank you. Thank you for joining the OrthoPAC podcast. Extremities in the Carolinas, Trauma for General Orthopedics, the Charlotte Conference, May 21st and 22nd, 2021. Check out the paos.org website for details.